Hello, can you hear me? Oh, hi. Hi, how do you do? Good evening. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. For me, this is like a belated Valentine's Day special, sort of, you know, just, <laughs> just with, a, with a Valentine here. Again, <laughs> thanks so much. I can't recall, which city are you in? Uh, Philadelphia. Okay, yeah, Philadelphia. Interesting. So many folks I've spoken to so far have lived in Philadelphia or were trained in Philadelphia, but Philadelphia seems to be kind of the... Um, the um, kind of slept on champion of of American art, I feel like. So many folks seem to be gravitating I mean, around there. It's it's such a great location. Um, mm -hmm. It's really easy to get to D.C., New York, Boston, um, mm -hmm. uh, like Amtrak. Um, mm -hmm. It's a fantastic way to get around on the East Coast. Um, and uh, it's significantly cheaper to live here than New York, D.C. or Boston. Yeah. I've only vacationed to Philadelphia one time. I think I was only there for three or four days or, or something like that. I had a really great time there. And it really is, uh, you know, a proper city in a way. And uh, I'm a bit of a, an American, like a revolutionary history buff. I'm not sure if, if that's oh, yeah. common or not. But like, um, so I, I thought I thought it was, it was very, very charming. Um, and I really want to go back, but I haven't had the chance. That was probably maybe three or four years ago since I've been, but I, I did like it very much. But yeah, just so many folks, I mean, outside of the conversation I've had this far, just so many artsy folks seem to gravitate around there. Um, yeah. Um, so I'll give you the, the pitch that I give to everyone as to kind of the ethos of the conversation, which is the point of the conversation is for me and anyone who may listen to learn from the insights of an experienced artist and to relish in the curiosity and celebration of a fascinating person. Uh, so that that's kind of, you know, what, what we do here with our, our chit chatting. Uh, and, and unless you have any first order business, I can start throwing questions at you. Sure. Throw questions okay. at me. Okay, will do. So the way I typically start is, will you tell me about your mother and father? Um, my uh, my parents were both nurses. Mm. Um, uh, grew up uh, uh, living um, with uh, my mom's parents as well. So um, they kind of took on majority of like the uh, um, parental role, I guess. My grandmother mm -hmm. was the matriarch. The, the, the matriarch of your nuclear family or the matriarch of, of a broader family as well? Like, like the oh. nuclear family, I would mm -hmm. say. Okay. Um, and so, so your parents were nurses. Were you raised in this Philadelphia area? No, no. Um, we moved around a bit when I was little. So, um, my family is originally from New York. Um, I, um, was born just out Chicago, just outside Chicago in Oak Park. Hmm. Um, we lived in California, Wow. when I was very little and then um, moved to Ohio. So that's where I grew up. Wow. A lot of moving. Is that, is that because of nursing or? Um, my dad had a, a job before that doing something with computers. Okay. Um, I think was the reason we moved around. But... Mm. Well, I mean, you got to see quite a lot of America. I mean, the, the first three locations are like, I guess, some of the predominant cities and then you moved all, all the way over to the west coast and then settled in ohio which again seems to be another hotbed of folks who i've been speaking to recently i've never even stepped foot in ohio but like a lot of people i guess it has again a, a type of major uh market draw or something like that but so many folks tell me ohio? stories of their families moving to ohio i don't think it's the case anymore mm -hmm. um because demographics have changed but i know at one point that ohio um, 
like the the statistical averages of Ohio mirrored the statistical averages of the United States. So it I've was heard a really this. Yeah. test market for a lot of brands. Um, it was a really good indicator of like how elections and politics were going to go. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, So you, I mean, you have like you have three large cities: Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. And then, um, you know, like surrounding that is is almost entirely agriculture. So corn Mm -hmm. yeah and soybeans. that's interesting yeah plus hoover's there you know big vacuum and i feel like the number one employer in america right? everyone has to work for hoover at some point um so is your parents um your, your father worked in computers a bit was your mother always in the medical field No, she would. Um, she uh, went back to school for nursing later. Um, Interesting. So both your parents kind of moved into nursing like later in their adult life. How much? I mean, I, that, that's an interesting thing to hear. I don't know if I've heard that before. And when I think about nursing, I think of something that takes a lot of education. So, I mean, like, were they just doing like a bunch of night school or? Yeah, they, um, uh, I mean, I don't really know I was a kid, um, but yeah, they, they went back to school um, uh, when I was a kid. And uh, depending on like what qualification you get as a nurse, um, you can go for a shorter period of time. So I think they did like two or three years. I'm not sure. That seems like a very, um, a very rambunctious episode, you know, of like normal job plus young children plus, you know, education and changing career. I mean, it seems uh, kind of chaotic for their schedules uh, in that time, seems so. Um, did uh, did your parents or grandparents, did any of them kind of have a, a creative hair or anything that you think you kind of inherited? Uh, Yeah, in... my um, my grandmother um, was a um, a pianist um, and a vocal coach, um, and uh, she had um, uh, she um, she taught and. Uh, um, uh, played piano like all through her life um even when she was very elderly she had like private students who would come over the house like opera singers and stuff so um yeah so uh had uh piano lessons from a very young age did not take to music but her whole side of the family was very um very musically focused and uh, my grandfather um uh, he he drew a lot um so he was probably the the main like artistic influence in the household, Mm. like visual arts. Uh, and um, they just had like a huge, they had um, one of the rooms in the house was a library. So like bookshelves all around and um, a love seat and a little table in the center. And it was just filled with books and they had all kinds of art books and stuff. And I would just go in there and uh, just, just obsess over them and like copy paintings and stuff. So. Wow, what a neat room! Like, what a very romantic Yeah, it sounding was wonderful. room. Someday, I, I hope to have enough space to to recreate it. That's very cool. Yeah, I I don't know if I've ever. I mean, oh, I only one person comes to mind that probably had something similar. But I mean, yeah, that sounds like a very very cool place for a kid to be in particular. Um, I don't. We didn't have a lot of books in my home growing up. I mean, my my parents were very interested in me getting a good education, but we were not a family of, of book lovers per se. Um, so you said you you your grandmother tried to spur, spur you into piano, and it didn't take. Yeah, I mean, she she, uh, um, I you know she she gave me piano lessons for years and years, and and um, 
you know, I'm, I'm sure I can, I can still sight read um, the most simplistic of, of mm. piano music, uh, but it just, I didn't have a, I didn't have a natural inclination for it. And so, you know, you said that your grandparents had art books in their library. Were they, you know, kind of, you know, in your, your grandfather was a drawler, but I guess, did they um, really celebrate arts as a whole or was yeah, there kind absolutely. of I'm, I mean, they're, they're both really interesting people. Um, my, um, my grandfather um, uh, worked in banking um, and um, they're, a bit of an older generation people in my family tend to wait a bit to have kids uh mm -hmm. they um my grandfather was working in banking um and um joined the u.s army right before um d-day mm -hmm. and not i'm sorry not d-day um right before pearl harbor and my grandmother um, was teaching music at the time and signed up for the red cross and they actually met while they were being sent over to europe like mm. on the boat hmm. and ended up being stationed um, at the, the same hospital um, in England uh, mm. where casualties were sent. Um, and my grandmother was, uh, her work with the Red Cross was nursing. It was um, basically like coming up with, with entertainments. Um, she would acquisition um, instruments and books and things for, uh, for the soldiers, help them mm. writing letters back home. And then my grandfather was in charge of uh, transportation. He was a lieutenant. So interesting. Yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, really fascinating. I mean, like, you, you, you know, that people have those sorts of jobs, but uh, it's interesting to meet, you know, someone who knew those folks, but it's also kind of interesting to hear that you get um, absorbed and then kind of land a role like that seemingly quickly. You, you, I, you know, again, I, I don't have any point of reference, but it seems as though it's more so like a career role, like something kind of cushy. But I mean, what what great fortune, I suppose, to like, yeah. you know, do to sign up to do your duty, and they're like, hey, you know, this is going to be actually kind yeah, of fun. They were, so I mean, they were they were very um, they were very interested in the arts, um, especially music. Um, uh, they were uh, interested in like mythology and world religion, and um, you know, my my grandfather used to read like you know he he used to, to read me like chinese fables and 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 like russian fairy tales as like mm -hmm. bedtime stories and stuff so it's very uh very eclectic yeah definitely um d does your family or do they kind of are have they been in the united states for several generations or do you hit immigrants fairly quickly behind these my two uh, um, my mom's side of the family, the family had come over very early. I don't know how true this is, but the mm -hmm. sort of lore was that my grandfather's family um, had um, come over, um, not with the Mayflower, but with one of the, the ships that came like within like 50 years of that. So like very, very early. My grandmother's family um there were all German immigrants came over in like the mid 1800s. Um, and um, my father's family, um, his father's side um, uh, were um, Jewish immigrants from Poland who came over in the early 1900s and like that sort of traditional like New York Lower East Side, you know, mm -hmm. like escaping the pogroms thing. And my, um, my dad's um, mother, her parents came um, from Romania um, the year before she was born, so nineteen. Mm. Wow, what a, that's very interesting. I mean, like uh, it's a bunch of different 
um, yeah, so get very threads different. coming together. Yeah, very yeah. different mishmash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, growing up in this really interesting and kind of romantic context of your grandparents, um, I don't know if you describe it as bohemian, but like very, very art eccentric, loves love to learn kind of leather bound world sounding. Um, were you from the jump very interested in visual art? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't remember a time when I, I wasn't um, obsessed with drawing and um, I like any opportunity that I had to go to an art museum, like it was the first thing I wanted to do. I was always just super nerdy about art. And um, one of the, the big things that along with like the art books that I really kind of like framed my aesthetic in a way um, because like I, I utilize like um, found photos a lot in my work. Um, my grandparents had like, you know, like photo albums going back, you know, like over the decades of their relationship, like all mm. these beautifully put together photo albums and we would sit down and go through them and they would tell me stories about all the people. Mm. Um, but yeah, I always absolutely just, just love drawing. Um, I started painting when I was in high school, um, like freshman in high school, started painting with oils. Mm. Um, so it's just always been my, my number one preoccupation. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I, I'd imagine that you, you must have been either, I mean, either uh, naturally very um, imaginative or at least the environment would kind of provoke a kind of you can do anything. I, I don't know, just, just my, my the way my imagination works, being surrounded by books and all those different stories. Did you um, know as a, as a young person that, you know, being a painter is what you wanted to do or was it kind of a hobby and and you you weren't sure that's what you wanted to do as a kind of a career I mean I would I would say the only waffling I had was like when I was really little was if I wanted to be like a painter or if I wanted to be more of like an illustrator mm -hmm. um, but it's always um visual art was always the the thing that I wanted to do and um, yeah, I mean, the attitude in my family was definitely like, you can do, you know, you can do anything. Um, I would say a little, maybe lacking in the more like practical side of things. Like no mm. one was like, okay, you know, art's good, but like, you should get a business degree or something. It was just like, you know, like follow your bliss. Yeah. Um, when you say you want to be an illustrator, I assume you mean like the, just the familiarity of the illustration of the books you wanted to illustrate. Yeah. The like, 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 like illustrating books or, um, you know, like the, um, the, the Disney Imagineers, like that, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I was, um, but like, especially like, um, uh, like old, like, like etchings and engravings, um, mm, yeah. in these books, because you're saying like leather bound, like they had, there, there were books in the library that were like a hundred years old. Um, and you know, so something like, uh, uh, you know, if you think of like, like, have you ever seen the Sherlock Holmes illustrations by mm -hmm. Sidney Hush Jay? Yeah. Like that kind of thing, like was obsessed with that. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, the thing that provokes, I, I have not read, I think my mother has some, I've not read the really old Sherlock Holmes, but recently, and this is such a, a, a an unimpressive cop out, but recently I've been rewatching like the old 1970s, 80s, like BBC uh, Sherlock Holmes. Uh, which um, I think, is it Jeremy Brett? Was that his name? Let me double check. I'm one guy I'm, I think in the seventies who looked exactly like the um the the Sydney Paget illustrations. Give me one second here. Yes, Jeremy Brett. 
yeah. um rewatch it i think i've seen them all yeah. now uh rewatch them all but i think that that particular um series was a really close translation to how the books uh were structured um yeah and it's, it's been it's been a lot of fun again I, i've rewatched them all or i watched them all several years ago and kind of now in my free time every now and then i'll start rewatching them but i, I do like them uh very much and i also also like yeah i'm not sure what, what i can't recall what you call these kinds of that kind of caricature of illustration from old books where it's almost like this uh very cross-hatched press kind of aesthetic well there's there's engravings and okay, etching. Engra okay yeah. engravings well, and etching. engraving uh, i'm not speaking from much experience i haven't really done this but engraving is where you would actually you would like you would carve into um, a plate and etching uh, is usually made with like a, like an acid that like, like burns away the marks you want to make. And then hmm. you like um, put ink over it that goes into the, into the grooves and then you run it through a press and that's hmm. how you get the print. So it's a really, really like painstaking um, uh, complex yeah. way of making pictures but like a, a lot of times when you see those like those really like like straight lines it's because it's not being drawn it's being like like scraped into a surface so a lot harder kind of a curvy line huh that's really interesting I, i've never really i've never heard that i don't think but now i'm kind of interested in watching a youtube video on how that process works but i mean like it, it, i guess with the um I, I i wonder why they opt to do it that way i mean i did is it because the acid uh, because it's fluid creates less abrasion uh, on the edges I'm of lines really, or... i'm really not sure like i said like i haven't i haven't mm -hmm. actually done it myself so yeah. um yeah uh i don't i don't i don't really know exactly exactly how how it would work but um yeah you just you get like these really really like precise precise lines yeah 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 i mean yeah, I know. I, I know exactly what you're referring to. And again, I've not read the Sherlock Holmes, but in school, you know, they would have you read romantic poetry like Dante mm -hmm. and things of this nature. And, you know, it's it's those kinds of illustrations that come to mind. Um, and I suppose in part kind of some of the illustrations that inspired you uh, as, as a kid. Um, what what sort of things were you to draw on uh, to? To creating when you were a young person were you did you still have your interest in that kind of antique photography or were you drawing stories or um I mean I I um well I had um a, my my best friend um in grade school Krista she and I uh would would write and illustrate stories together mm -hmm. um and uh we like and we we made little uh little paper dolls mm -hmm. uh we would like make the dolls and then make little outfits for them that we sold in class um i did get <laughs> um but uh i um i don't remember how old i was but at some point um uh i got um a book um about da vinci and and it had some quotes from him and one of them said that like if you if you want to draw well it's better to like copy a bad statue than to copy a beautiful painting or drawing mm. if you're looking at the statue you have to actually look at it you have mm -hmm. to actually make that determination with your eye um, and so I was obsessed with, with trying to draw like, like actual, like physical objects. So like, I would like pose my Barbie dolls and sketch them and, and, and things like that. Um, and I just always had like, you know, just, just uh, like, um, 
I would just get like a, like a, you know, like I think of printer paper, you know, just like the hundred or 200, you know, sheet stack of printer mm -hmm. paper. And that would be what I would draw on. Um, yeah. How old were you when you did started doing that? Oh, I don't know. Like I ha I have no idea. There wasn't, I don't remember a time when I didn't draw constantly. I mean, like when I was in, when I was in kindergarten, I was, I was drawing constantly. So when you were oh, my apologies. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know when I started attempting to work from, from um, my, my dolls as models. Yeah. Like, I don't know, maybe six or seven. Yeah, you, when you said that, it, it sounds like such a uh, strangely. Uh, I mean, you, you now now you're starting to sound more like as a peculiar child, only because it I seems was, like I was I was a peculiar <laughs> child. I was a little dork. Yeah, it definitely. Seems, it seems like such a mature and sophisticated uh, form of self discipline to be like in <laughs> kindergarten and read a quote from Da Vinci and be like, "His practice must be mine." He like, was I the must, best. He was the best. So just, obviously, just, he knew what he was talking about. That's true. I just I don't even know I don't know how many I, I guess because Da Vinci is such a, a household name I suppose young children know who Da Vinci is but yeah. I, I don't know how many of them think of him as their uh as the as the pinnacle of an artist nor do they they read his prose and <laughs> take them to heart yeah I, I mean <laughs> I think I think the thing that you need to keep in mind is that um, while I was making these drawings, these drawings weren't any good. Oh, I was just obsessed with drawing all the time. But, you know, I was still still drawing like like a six year old, not, you know. Not like, you know, like you see like those those like early Picasso things and he did like <laughs> these like, full scale, like, you know, like perfectly rendered paintings when he was like 14. That was, yeah. that was, that was not the case with me. I, I can no longer recall what the contraption is called, but is it camera obscura, something of this nature? There's, that yes. Thing, yeah. Like, did you yeah. did you attempt to fabricate one of those? In, I didn't. I didn't grade? find out. I didn't find out about that until I was until I was much older. Okay. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so, I actually build a camera obscura. No, mm -hmm. haven't. No. Maybe I should try that now. Mm -hmm. Um. So. So, so you you get into so you as a young child, as far as your memories can reach, you're drawing. You're really interested in 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 drawing, both in kind of a superficial way, but also apparently are onboarding advice and and are, are taking it as seriously as a as a young child can. And then you get into high school and you pivot into painting. Um, what, what kind of spurred that change? Just kind of the automatic progression of this sort of thing, or did, did you well, in, get inspired um, I, by something? So I had, um, uh, I think it was my freshman year. So, um, the, uh, the major art school in Columbus, Ohio is, um, the Columbus College of Art and Design, CCAD. And I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to do Saturday morning, um, classes for kids. Maybe mm. it was or freshman year but they had um they, they had these classes and the thing they had like a um a drawing exam for entrance and some of the kids who took the drawing exam would get a scholarship um to take the the courses for free and I managed to get the scholarship every year so on Saturdays I would go to the arts college and get to take these additional drawing classes. And so that's where I, I first um, had the opportunity to work with oil paints and, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, you know, like we were, we were doing, um, 
really, really complex drawing exercises. I remember there was there was one where they had us draw um, a wadded up piece of paper, mm -hmm. which if you start to think about like the complexities yeah. of like the shapes and the shadows and everything yeah. that comes with that, like it's a really, really complex drawing exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, got to start doing figure drawing. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really, really cool experience. And that is where I ended up going to college. So can you tell me more about the process when you said that you you repeatedly won the scholarships? Can you elaborate a bit? Yeah, on that? you would go in and um, and uh, they uh, would have a still life set up and mm -hmm. you draw the still life. And there, I think there was like a set amount of time. I don't remember exactly. But you go in, you draw the still life and then you turn in your your drawing and some of the kids got got scholarships. I don't know how many. I don't think it was very exclusive, but mm. Yeah. And how, I mean, how many times, so for example, what was the result of the scholarship and how many times did you earn that? It was, um, it was, so it was through the school year. Um, okay, wow. you go every, um, every Saturday. Um, I'm not sure how many times I did it. Um, at least, at least through all of high school, I might've, I might've started in eighth grade, I think. Mm -hmm. I think I started mm -hmm. in eighth grade, Yeah, but I did it, I did it through senior year. And then uh, in my senior year, they also had a summer program um, mm -hmm. that I did. It was like, it was smaller classes. Um, mm -hmm. So the, the other ones you'd have like 30, 40 kids in a room. Um, the, the, the one that I did that summer was like, I don't know, I think there were 10 of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was a little personalized learning. Did having so much exposure to that institution before you entered it as a proper student, did that, what kind of impact did that have on your kind of college experience there? Um, I think, I think it kind of skewed my expectations um, because I, I thought that I was I, like, I imagined that I was stepping into um, like a very traditional um, atelier type of school that, you know, was going to teach us like every, um, you know, like every detail of like how to, you know, construct a drawing and construct a painting and be like, you know, like very much a sort of like romantic ideal mm -hmm. uh, of, of an art school. And what it actually was, was it was an arts college. It was earning a bachelor's degree and um, very focused to um, uh, either using your art for a profession, like a, a practical profession, like getting into something like graphic design or um, like, you know, like like web design or illustration or something like that, um, or um, getting on a, a track to be a teacher mm. and I didn't want to do any of those things. So mm -hmm. I did not actually finish my degree, but I learned how to stretch canvas there. That's good. I'm trying to think if I have spoken to a single person now who, who had rave reviews of their art college experience. If, if it ends if it ends positively, there's a transfer involved. I, I cannot at the moment recall. I don't think a single artist has told me that where they began their uh, tertiary art education has ended um, kind of in triumph. <laughs> either They either drop out disillusioned or they 
discover that the first place they went wasn't the right um, trajectory for them, kind of like what yeah. you're describing. And then they actually find that, again, that kind of atelier uh, program. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you have... I think most kids like have such a, a clear picture of like how everything is going to be. And you're like mm -hmm. imagining like, this is what college is going to be yeah. like, and this is what I'm going to be. And like, and then you get there and the reality is, I mean, in a lot of ways, college isn't that different from high school. You know, mm -hmm. you find yourself in the, in the situation where you're like, Oh wait, like the, the social aspect is still very similar. The, you know, the teachers don't suddenly treat me with a great deal of respect. Like mm -hmm. they still me you know like i'm a student yeah and, um uh yeah and i think your your expectations i think also like your expectations for yourself um i know uh for me i definitely thought like oh, i'm gonna get to art school and i'm gonna be the best at everything and i'm gonna draw better than everybody and paint every better than everybody and found myself surrounded by people who had exactly the the same idea and um you know, like have it, you know, doing like a figure drawing class and put all of our drawings up at the ends and like not being the best one, like seeing mm -hmm. other people that was better than me. And I think that that's, you know, that can be part of the experience for people if you find yourself in a situation where like you've always been the best and like now you're not. I think for a lot of people, it can be either it just fires you up to work harder or it's, you know, it's really disappointing and disappointing disillusioning disillusioning yeah something. yeah i definitely know what you're talking about that's something that i've i've heard too about how important it is for high schoolers to do the proper investigation and get sorted into institutions that will best suit them and and also if they have the capacity to kind of claw their way into a particularly prestigious institution, sometimes it's they're better suited to actually go into a slightly different institution where they don't feel like they've been steamrolled. It, it kind of you, like you were saying that you you go into this place and and people actually um are as competent as you are or maybe some people are actually more competent than you mm -hmm. and where you just came from you're kind of like uh, a champion in this regard and, yeah. and 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 again I I I went to high school with a few folks who were like valedictorian at our school and they ended up mm -hmm. going to like IVs or public IVs. And, you know, when we saw them that summer after freshman year, they were just heartbroken and kind yeah. of uh, demotivated or, or deflated because they were like, I don't have the same uh, potential there. Like I, I'm not mm -hmm. the, I, I can't get the research position, this or that, uh, because I'm not as I don't stand out there anymore. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think um, another thing for me was that, uh, you know, CCED ended up being the school that made the most financial sense, um, but it meant staying in the same town and like going to um, a school where it actually already spent a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Ohio is, 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 is a wonderful place Columbus is a wonderful place. Many people absolutely love it there. It was never the place for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I always, I was, like, I wanted to go to school in California or go to school in New York, mm -hmm. like, I, or Chicago. Like, I wanted to, I wanted to, like, get out. So I think that was also a, a deciding factor in, in, um, in, in quitting school was I was like, no, I have to go to, I have to go to, like, the big city. I have to mm -hmm. go to places where the artists live. Yeah. It, it, I think what you're kind of, 
touching on is something that I really agree with. And I, I found it, I, I think even now at my age, the ideas about college and what college is for, or what it is good for, have, keep becoming more and more murky to me. But if a young person asked me for advice about what to do about college, hopefully I would give them a more mature answer. But I do think the thing that kind of leaps to the front of my mind is that College is the opportunity to get far away from where you've been. And it yeah. doesn't exactly, it, I mean, it matters the institution, it matters the program to an extent, but what really matters is the adventure and the novelty and the alien world that you'll be thrust into. And yeah. to, um, again, to kind of live in a different way and in a different context. And it, it, it might not necessarily need be coupled with a city, but it probably should is my guess um mm. you know but that that's one of maybe the largest regrets of my life is that I didn't go to a college in a major city I went to college 45 minutes up the road from my hometown in like a you know small college town did you grow up I grew up here in Roanoke Virginia Okay. Yeah, so it's a small city. There's roughly 100,000 people who live in the city proper, roughly a quarter million people who live in the surrounding area. Fairly small city, uh, I think, just to American standards. Um, I went to college at a, a, a small, I'm, I'm not sure how many people attended, maybe 10,000 when I went there, something like that, called Radford University that's in Radford, Virginia. That's, again, maybe a 45-minute drive up the road. And it was a, a, a beautiful campus um, not a particularly serious institution, exactly. I think I didn't go to an art school, but like you mentioned, you know, when I was in high school going into college, I for some reason thought it was going to be like Oxford is what college mm -hmm. was going to be like. But instead, yeah. you know, people are like, hey, can we make a bong out of a Hawaiian punch jug? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like more so what it's like. But um, but yeah, it was just um it was it was a depressing experience and i wasn't far enough and it was again the 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 context the the environment was far too college -y. i think that if there had been a larger economy in my periphery via a city context it would have been more interesting more opportunity more inspiring mm -hmm. and also i think i was just simply too close to home like I still felt like I was home. I could, you know, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't interface with my parents that much when I was in college, but the potential was still too there. I, again, I think if I could, if I could go back in time and do everything serious, I wouldn't start senior year. I would go further back. But if I had to start in senior year, I would not go to Radford University. I would try and go someplace further away and a place, again, probably a city. And, and yeah. again, I, I kind of think it's almost... For, for a lot of people, college has become this thing that everyone believes is, is necessary. And to the extent that it becomes a normal practice, the advantage of it isn't so much all of the phony onboarding of curriculum, which you won't retain, but it's more so, again, this peculiar context to keep you uh, one foot in the real world, one foot out of the real world in an alien world. Mm -hmm. So, so again, if a young person asked me my advice, I would say, you know, go far away from your parents for four years and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, if, if it's, if it's at all possible, yeah, that's, mm -hmm. I think, I think, I, I, I don't know. I've never been very good at staying um, in the same place for, for very long. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, 
uh, I think that I think that it's really important to to live in different places, to travel, to be mm. exposed to different kinds of people, um, you know, to to embrace other cultures, because like otherwise, I don't know, like everything just sort of blurs together and just gets mm. really boring. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like, it's it's a funny tragedy of my life is that I just have only been born here and I've lived here and um, I'm sure I'll die here. It could be any any day now. But, uh, you know, I, I like to travel and do my little vacations. But um, but yeah, I'm 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 very rooted here and I have no idea what kind of person I would have been had I transplanted long ago. But, you know, here I am, a Roanoker through and through. So, luckily, hey, hopefully, if you're, if you're happy there, I just, I, I don't know, I, I, yeah, I've just never been able to stay in 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 one place for for too long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, do you think that has anything to do with a bit of your moving around as a child, or even if you hadn't been a child that moved around, do you think it's just something about your character now that I you don't know? You have I mean, to I get think. Around? I think I think that definitely I think it probably definitely plays a role. Um, it you know also um, you know when when I was a kid um, because uh, my my dad's family was all still in New York, so uh, well New York and Florida. So like you know sometimes go down to Florida and stay with my aunt and uncle down there. You know go to New York, out to Long Island, stay with my aunt and uncle up, um, out there. Like go up to um, uh, the the Catskills where um, where my grandparents had a place. My dad's mm. parents. Um, and, uh, you know, so like the little, the little glimpses that I had of, of Manhattan during that time, like, uh, I was just, I was, I was just like entranced by it from moment one. And, um, I was always, I was always, um, and I did end up living in Chicago for many, many years later, but, um, I, uh, knowing that I was like, that I was like born in this place called Chicago, that we moved I think I was three when we moved away. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know the city at all. I had no memory of it. Um, but I was, I was just obsessed by this, this, this big city of Chicago out there. So. Uh, two questions. One, do do you think that your, your family and the, the nodes of your family that you can actually access as a child, or are these people middle-class properly middle-class or not? I would say I would say not. Okay. I would, I would say financial matters were always a, 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 an issue growing up. But mm-hmm. I think as a kid, um, however you grow up just seems normal. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you don't you don't really think about it. Um, mm-hmm. It was something that I, I feel that I was really aware of until I was um, older, like particularly in high school. And you see, like you know the the kids who are more well-to-do and the kind of stuff that they have access to or like go to parties at their house and like see where they live. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, all right, this is different. Yeah, you know, that's one thing that's kind of an interesting, pers- I mean, I, I don't know if it's an interesting perspective, but like my my family was, my, my father is a Colombian immigrant. My mother is a kind of one generation removed from a type of a type of poverty, you know, I, you know, I'm not sure how to describe it, but not middle class. And m- my family, my parents growing up were entrepreneurs and were entrepreneurs in the restaurant industry. And so we kind of did this hokey pokey in and out of lower middle classdom, depending on how the business was doing. But in addition to that, we had no family outside 
of Roanoke effectively, like mm. nobody at all. So growing up, we did no, um, no frequency of traveling outside of the area really other than like you know common vacations like we're going to the beach something of this nature mm -hmm. and um you know as you describe you can like your family is moving around you have relatives that you go to far reaches of the continent or the you know the country to to, to visit this and that and i did it's just an experience that i didn't have growing up and uh, there's so many folks now that i meet and folks who i grew up with that just seem to be these continent um you know, trotters and they just uh -huh. move around and not only do they, they, you know, they pack their bags and they go there, but just like, just casually, like I'm going there for a little bit and I move and I move. And um, it's just a fascinating difference. I, it's so unlike me and I'm not sure what's up with that. I don't even feel, I don't even feel debil de debilitated financially at this point in my life. I just am not someone who's moved so much or seen so much of the country and I really should. But yeah, when you mentioned that, I was just wondering if it was like, if it was a, a middle classdom that allows it, that facilitates it, or if it's just when when families are relatively, you know, civil and, and, and familiar, but also spread apart. This is just the result of that. But, you know, I, yeah, yeah just I mean, curious. I think I, and I, I, I think it was also, um, you know, like, a, I think there was an aspect of like, you know, get, getting rid of me for the summer, you know, having me go and stay for rel with relatives made things easier. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like we didn't, we didn't do any kind of family vacations. There were no, you know, there, there were like, um, like any, like it was either like going to, um, to stay with family or um, trips that I took uh, through like, you know, through organizations. Um, like uh, I um, was with, like the world's greatest Girl Scout troop. Um, is that uh, what it was called? Or is that just your No, no, it just okay. was. Um, <laughs> okay. our, our troop leader was was amazing. And um, we uh, we would go on like backpacking trips. And um, we did all kinds of like community outreach with younger kids. Um, it was really, really cool. But one of the biggest things we did was there was, because um, there's Girl Scouts and Girl Guides and it spread all over the world. Um, and there was a um, big unity festival um, in England, which is where the girl guide, the girl, the boy scouts started and the girl scouts started, but the, or the girl guide started anyway, but they're like, they're two organizations that are related. But so um, girl scouts um, from all over the world were going to this camping festival in England. And uh, we raised money for the trip by selling cookies, Girl Scout cookies on OSU campus. Mm. We'd go and like, we'd bring like a car full of Girl Scout cookies and like set up a little table and just like sell them to college students and manage to use that um, to fund a, a trip um, to England and do the, the, um, camping thing which is amazing because we were all split up so like my tent I was sharing with a girl from Egypt a girl from England and a girl from um from Hong Kong wow that's uh, amazing yeah people from all over the world and stayed stayed pen pal friends with them for for um a couple of years after um but we also uh did a trip to London as mm. well um, so we, we like, we stayed in this like, you know, like charming little hostel and, and, uh, you know, got to see London and, and, uh, got to go to the national gallery, which just blew my mind. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know, like 
and that's a very rare thing for like a 13 year old kid to be able to do. Um, mm. But it was like, it was like part because I was part of that organization, um, you know, uh, not, not necessarily something that's available to, to most kids, even if they are middle class. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, very cool. Yeah, I I also got to go to London when I was probably around the same age, and it was my father before he settled in the United States, lived all throughout Europe, and so kind of in his youth, he made friends in all these different European countries. And so mm. one summer, when I guess the pizzas were selling well, he was like, "We're going to Europe on like a you know a trip, and I want to go like introduce you and my mother to like some of these people I used to know when I was like." Mm -hmm. 20 and 30. So we went to like a few countries in Europe. But the most peculiar thing about London was one time we were walking down a street in like not like a you know, not like a busy downtown area, but just like a random street of London. And there was another kid from my school walking down the same street. I know. And I was like, it, we didn't That's know each other too well. He was like a grade or something beneath me. But we were like, hey, what's going on? And I was like, even at, at 12 or whatever, I was like, what are the odds? Like this, this weirdest, yeah, it's like the weirdest like coincidence that I would see that kid there. But um, but yeah, I also an, another somewhat similar experience that was very cool in hindsight was I was uh, again, my, 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 my father sold pizzas when I was growing up and there was a pretty um, successful theater. Um, I'm not sure what you call it, but like it's essentially like a theater summer camp in, mm -hmm. in our city. And uh, my father would cater it year after year with pizzas. And one year, I guess the director of it was like, hey, like instead of charging me so much cash, like do you want your kid to like do a theater camp one summer? And uh, yeah, and, and, and at, that, at that age, it was one of those things where I was like, no, I don't want to do, you know, a theater camp. Like I'm cool, you know? But at the same time, I loved it and went. But um, we, a part of that was us going as maybe a group of like 15 kids we went to uh stratford canada for like the world shakespeare festival or something of mm -hmm. this nature. i think there's two of them like one in stratford england where like i think the globe theater is or, or maybe the birthplace of shakespeare yeah, but then there's, there's also stratford, canada yeah, yeah i actually um, a... just just went to that last year oh to the shakespeare festival yeah yeah. Very cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. I went too. Uh, it was it was uh, awesome. Richard the so Second and um and King Lear were both amazing. We saw Much Ado About Nothing, and I don't remember what the other one was, but I also remember we saw South Pacific, which is one of Shakespeare's. You know, that's yes, one of his most beloved yeah. musicals. Yes, <laughs> yeah. of course. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that was another like really random experience of my life. Um that 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 uh just occurred from being a part of a really advantageous little child's uh organization. Yeah, my my high school actually had like a an annual trip to to Stratford for mm -hmm. like the the theater club kids that mm -hmm. I never went to um and uh yeah so we went uh with my uh my parents-in-law for my my husband's birthday mm -hmm. last year. I was talking when I went to school I went to a, a little private school and again my family was not particularly or at least we weren't as wealthy as the majority of the other kids that went to mm -hmm. my school and again I always saw them doing so much traveling and I never did any traveling but to like kind of put that in perspective I know like in high school typically kids will go to like a beach week something like this our school would go to Spain 
like and it wasn't like a it wasn't it wasn't like an organized field trip seemingly exactly it was just kind of like a tradition or something and i if i'm not mistaken i think a teacher or two would go but it was like out of pocket and the kids would be like yeah we're going to spain for beach week and it yeah, you know they would do Stratford and then, um, uh, well, uh, with the the marching band, um, there was a there was a trip to Florida and senior year, um, there the senior class would go to Washington D.C. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, no no trips to Spain though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but even like going all the way down to Florida from like your neck of the woods in Ohio, they, that's still like a pretty extreme trip i just feel like if i was a senior in high school i'd still be like how would i ever afford this like i can't ask yeah. my parents yeah. for the hundreds of dollars necessary to do this trip yeah. i mean it, it, you know the, the, yeah i think for for some of the kids it was not you know, finances were not were not an issue not a yeah. concern yeah yeah um so let, let's let, let me uh let me kind of redirect and refocus on on your art practice although i do think i've done a good job at uh, or i've had fun listening to to more about your life and kind of getting a kind of a profile of of your background growing up but um so can, can you tell me a little bit what 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 happened with your practice once you left that college um <laughs> I mean, for, you know, for a couple of years, um, uh, like I was, I was still like painting and drawing a lot, but I was kind of directionless. Um, and, uh, um, the, one of, one of the biggest things for me was when I did finally move to New York, um, I, cause I, I had a friend who was going to school at Wisconsin, um, in Madison. Uh, mm. so I, on a whim decided to move there and live there for a little bit and then moved back, um, to Ohio and then moved to New York. And, um, when I was in New York, I found, um, a drawing studio, um, uh, run by a woman named Minerva. She actually, um, it, it's still, the drawing studio is still running. It's, it's moved. She also had a painting studio at the time. Uh, but I worked as a, as a model there. Um, and in addition to getting paid for the modeling sessions, I also got free drawing and, and, um, painting, uh, classes. So I could go there anytime that I wanted and work for the model. And that was, um, just an incredible resource to have access to. Um, I, it, and um, it's actually one of the things that um, Philadelphia has. There are a couple of like um, great um, drawing studios here in the city. Um, That's what I've heard, yeah. Yeah, it's one of, one of, I don't know, it's just one of the greatest pleasures in the world, just sitting down and, and doing live drawing. It's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, it was uh, trying to figure out what exactly I wanted to do with art because I, you know, I knew that I wanted to paint. I knew that I wanted to paint people. Um, but finding um, kind of my style and my voice within that took mm -hmm. a long time. Um, my, my tastes are pretty eclectic. I mean, you know, like, I love a lot of like very realistic work. I love a lot of abstract work. So it's just kind of like trying out different styles and, um, you know, uh, paying the bills in, in mm -hmm. the meantime, carving out as much time as I could for art. Um, and uh, I moved, left New York after a couple of years and moved to Chicago. And uh, in, um, well, I was in, in Chicago, you know, uh, I, uh, 
Well, I don't know exactly where it was. Um, I think it was. I think it was at a. At a Sorry. Oh, my apologies. Before you start the next chapter, I'm, can yes. I run to the restroom real quick? Oh, sure. Okay, yes, I, I want to hear. Sorry, I'll be very yeah. brief. My apologies. Um, so but before you before you um, say more about Chicago, I, I did have a question. And that's, um, I guess I guess maybe I have two questions. Can you tell me a bit about the experience modeling? What is that like? Because I mean, I, I assume, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but like for you to be both compensated with some sort of income and also kind of access to the studio, I assume that that the institution views it as something fairly rigorous. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, the the thing the thing with my, have you have you ever sat for someone like even just for a portrait? I mean, yes, but it was literally a gentleman who was doing an exercise where he was sketching people in a few minutes. So I don't okay. think it's the same. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it is very physically demanding, um, uh, especially like doing a long pose. Um, it, it definitely doing it gives you a lot of respect for people who are really good models. It's really, really hard to just hold a single pose for a lengthy period of time. Um, even a short period of time, like, you know, like you do like a, um, you know, like 30 second, one minute, five minute poses. Um, and uh, um, and especially when people are doing quick sketches, you want to have a real variety of things. Um, so you can get, find yourself in a position where you're like, okay, I can do this. And then you're like, oh, I don't know if I can hold this any longer. Mm. Um, but when you're doing long poses, like they'll actually mark um, the like mark where your feet are um, on the floor with tape and then mark where your arms are so you can get up, take a break and then come back and get into that same position. Mm -hmm. But you start to realize like how um, the smallest thing will affect your posture. Mm -hmm. Like you have to pick a single point to look at because if your eye line changes, your head will just automatically drift mm -hmm. that way. As soon as your, your head starts to drift, your neck will change and then your shoulders will move and like the whole thing starts to fall apart. So, um, and it doesn't matter what position you get into. If you stay in that position without moving for 20 minutes, it is going to be very uncomfortable. Interesting. But I mean, it sounds like it's, it's in a way a bit more of a battle of the mind before it's a battle of the body. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. It's, about attention it's, also, it, it, it's also a battle of staying awake. Okay. <laughs> I found I, I would very quickly get sleepy, like just like staring <laughs> at, at one point and trying not to move. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to drop off mm -hmm. here. Yeah. My other question was, what what other kind of job did you have while you were doing this practice? Working in restaurants. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Um, waiting like, tables, waiting. bartending. Um, I'm a, a certified sommelier, so I've done a lot of stuff with wine. Interesting. Interesting. I, I I might circle back to that because that's also very fascinating to me, but please continue on to Chicago. So what happened when you... Yeah, uh, so um, in Chicago, um, well, I, it, well, I was living in Chicago, but I don't remember exactly where I found... Um, I, I was at uh, uh, this big flea market and um, I found um, these old yearbooks uh, um, and it was... Uh, this guy's yearbooks and it was like all signed and stuff. And, and um, there was something about the pictures that was just really intriguing to me. And I started collecting uh, these old yearbooks, which then led me to start collecting old photos. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would, I would like sketch from them and, and there were, you know, certain ones that I was, I was just really, really fascinated with and, and 
one day I was like, wait, why don't I just start using this as a reference instead of like cajoling my friends into sitting for me or taking photographs of my own to paint from um, when I'm not a good photographer and I was very rarely happy with the images that I got. So I started working from, from these old photographs and then uh, started posting my work on Instagram, uh, which more than anything um, for me was really an opportunity to find artists. Um, uh, to to you know to find people who weren't necessarily you know having their work shown in galleries where I was going to see it you know people who are like you know exhibiting in in Europe or you know in other cities that um, I didn't have access to or finding people who weren't showing their work at all but were making really really interesting stuff um, and uh, I feel like there there was a like you know the in the in the last like decade there's been a real boom in figurative art it was uh the art world was much more focused on like conceptual art mm -hmm. um uh you know through the the 90s and the early 2000s um and there's been a real boom in in painting in particular and and um in figurative art especially and suddenly seeing all of these people who were like doing all this really exciting stuff with it um was fantastic and led to um, a couple of exhibition opportunities and um, some collaborations. And once I started to build up a little bit of a CV, I started looking around for a gallery um, that would be a good fit for me. And the one in Chicago where I was like, I think I think this is this is a good fit. And it's called um, ZG. And uh, so I approached them and they started representing me and uh, I'm still showing with them now. Um, it's run by two amazing woman, women, Megan Myra, um, a really extraordinary roster of artists. Um, and uh, yeah. Okay. So a bunch of questions. Okay. Um, Sorry, I tend to ramble. No, 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 no. That's fine. That's, that's, that's what's best for the conversation, I think. But I'll, I'll work backwards a little bit here. Um, well, let me think. Um, I'm not sure which quite. Yeah, I'll work backwards a little bit here. Can you tell me what is the problem? Because you, you described it as you were searching for the right gallery. Now, when I hear that, it kind of sounds curious to me because I think that me and maybe other people have an impression that unless you're already a superstar, you can't really go shop for the gallery yourself. You have to, in a way, sit there looking as though you don't care at all in a gallery approaches you. Now, I don't know if that's the most off the I mean, correct answer or, or, but I mean, what, what was that process like for you? I mean, it, what does, it does definitely happen that people are approached by galleries, but I think the thing is that you, um, you know, there are millions of people who want to show their work in galleries and there aren't millions of galleries mm -hmm. available to show their work. I mean, you, you have to, you know, you, you have to put in some effort. And um, I think that a lot of people, and I understand because I definitely thought this way myself, um, feel that you need to um, present yourself as like 100% idealistic and um, you don't want to come across as somebody who's approaching art as a business. Mm. Um, but the relationship of working with a commercial gallery is a business relationship mm -hmm. um, and they want to see that you're proactive. They want to see that you're organized. They want to see that you're reliable. Um, you know, they, they like, 
you know, part of the reason why a gallery wants to see a CV is because they want to see a consistent track record that you've been working, that you've been exhibiting, that you've been doing stuff to, to get your work out there, that this isn't a hobby, that this is something that you're really genuinely focused on. Um, because, you know, when you enter into that relationship, it's, it's a business relationship and they're relying on you to deliver a product, um, mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, most commercial galleries, like that is, that is how the gallerist is making a living. Yeah. Um, they rely on their artists to give them work that they can sell and take a commission from. <laughs> so, um, oh, my apologies. Oh yeah. But um, I think, I think the thing is that it, it's, you know, you don't, you don't go to, you don't, you don't go to like an opening of another artist with your portfolio and mm. like try to get the, the dealer's eye that way, you know, you, that's, that's not, that's not the way to approach it. Um, but yeah, you've got to, you, you got to hustle a little, mm -hmm. you got to put yourself out there. So what you just said is very, very refreshing for me to hear. And it's also nothing you said was Greek. I mean, everything you said is exactly how I understand this relationship and how I assumed this culture was in a way. But two things from, from my perspective are true. One, I've never had this experience of approaching a gallery. And number two, in my Googling and in my reading of things about this, the, the advice is don't do that because the gallery, it feels abrasive. Like there's too many people, the gallery will think you're abrasive, almost think you're pathetic. And instead galleries like to do their own research in a way and tap these artists. Can you speak a little bit about how you approached this gallery and how this turned out well? Well, um, uh, the... The most important thing, I don't know if they currently do, but at the time they had on their website that they accept submissions. They sub okay. they, they review unsolicited submissions. Um, mm. And if, if a gallery has it on their page that they do not accept unsolicited submissions, don't send them anything because mm -hmm. they're not going to look at it. Um, mm. And, you know, we, like you, for me, I, you know, what I was looking for, primarily was a um a gallery whose artists were um artists that I uh that I respected that I liked their work um the the fact that the the gallery was um established that they had been around for years that it wasn't you know it wasn't some like new um uh pop-up space um that it was a brick and mortar gallery not like an online thing um mm -hmm. To me, it's very important to have my work actually like like physically seen by people, not just mm -hmm. be online. Um, and um, you know, I went to I went to openings at the gallery and um went to several shows um before I even went on their website to see if they did accept submissions. Um uh because there's there's no point in there's no point in trying to get your work into a gallery when you know, like if if you're you know, if you're a figurative painter and, you know, a gallery shows 100% photography, there's, there's no point in sending your work to them. They're not going to be interested in it. And also you need to kind of like pick your, pick your spot, um, you know, like determining like where you are in your career um, and, uh, you know, what gallery would be willing to, to take you on and kind of bring you up to the, the next level. Um, but, you know, there's, 
like if it's if it's a blue chip gallery that has spaces in three different cities throughout the world and you've never had um a, an exhibition in a commercial space then it's probably probably not going to work out um but you need to you know find a place that like really fits you and um i uh so after doing my research and being like you know this is this is a great gallery artist I really respect. I think that my work would fit here. Um, and they have said that they accepted submissions. So I sent them an email um, with, I think like five work samples and a link to my webpage. And they responded and they asked me to come in. Sometimes um, sometimes galleries are like, like wanna do a studio visit and come to your space and see work in person. Sometimes they'll ask you to bring um, work to them, which is what they did in this case. I brought a couple of pieces over to the gallery um, and they looked over them and you know said that they wanted to, to work with me um, and uh, started off having some work in um, group shows. And um, I've had one solo show with them so far. Uh, there's, I'm not sure what it's called, but there's a, a spring exhibition uh, coming up that I, I just sent them um, several pieces for. So, mm -hmm. yeah. How long has that relationship been established? I for sure showing with them. I think I started showing with them in 2018. Mm -hmm. So it's been it's been several years now. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been really lucky. I've heard I've had. um a couple things with with you know with galleries and with curators that ended up going nowhere um uh you know sometimes like something that seemed promising at first and and then turned out not to be something that i wanted to do hmm. um and um i've shown a little with other galleries uh like in group shows um but and I've heard so many horror stories from people, um, but I've had such a positive experience working with them. Um, they're um, extremely supportive, and um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's 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 definitely it's like it's a it's a mutual relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, galleries um, usually take fifty percent, um, mm -hmm. and that sounds like a lot until you take into account the amount of work that they do in mm -hmm. you know cultivating a client list hanging up and curating the shows you know packaging and shipping all of your artwork and um you know like bringing you commissions and opportunities and um it's an incredible amount of and maintaining the you know the actual physical space of the gallery it's mm -hmm. it's an incredible amount of work that goes in on their end so it really yeah. does feel mutual mutual relationship yeah, yeah, that's 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 amazing. Um, so something I want to circle back to is a, a bit about um your interest in this photography and how you came to, I think what you know I would I think I mean because you you mentioned also trying to explore and find your style. I think that the work that I mean at least that I as far as I scroll back on your Instagram has quite a signature. I think it's like very, you know, clearly, you know, your work. Um, and, and I'm just a bit curious about what it is about this kind of vintage photography that you found so captivating. And also I'm, I'm kind of interested in how you settled on so much white negative space in your, in yeah, your the, work. the white negative spaces, um, 
honestly, it was just like going through and, and looking at paintings and sketches that I'd done and realizing that when I left something unfinished, that was what I found most visually arresting. Um, mm. uh, um, I don't know, there are a number of, of like unfinished paintings. Like there's a painting, I think by Benjamin West, um, like an unfinished portrait, and and um, I don't know, you see like these these unfinished paintings sometimes, especially like realistic ones, and and they'll just be like you know these like chunks of white, and I just find it really visually wonderful. And also, um, I feel like uh, you know, especially with um, when I've done just like straight portraiture, uh, people just kind of like you just kind of automatically mentally fill in the missing pieces. So like if you if you if you have two eyes and sort of a smudge and a line, people are like, yeah, that's, you know, that smudge is a nose and that line is a mouth. We just mm. automatically um, make things into faces in our minds. Um, and I think that that kind of, it kind of pulls people in and maybe makes stuff a little more like personal, a little more resonant. Mm. Uh, as far as vintage photography is a lot of things. I think I grew up with a lot of that kind of imagery um, because of my grandparents. I grew up watching a lot of like old movies, like, you know, like movies from like the 40s and 30s mm -hmm. uh, uh, because that was their heyday. Um, and uh, it, it's also something about like the people being anonymous uh, okay. when 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 I like draw or paint portraits of friends and work from my own photographs, there's a kind of like a, I feel like a kind of like responsibility um, to be maybe a little flattering um, to at mm. least be, um, to be very accurate. Mm. Um, and that holds me back. I, I feel um, when I'm painting from a photograph of a complete and total stranger, um, that I don't have any of that responsibility. I can just completely change their face if I feel like it and mishmash together a bunch of different photographs and just make something that works rather than trying to make something that's going to make someone else happy. Mm. Really interesting. You know, I think one of the things also that kind of, I mean, maybe you have a sophisticated answer about this too, but one of the things from a few of your pieces that I think is really fascinating is this kind of... Um, kind of more seriously structured figure, for example, a body that's coupled with this very doodle-like other element. So the one I'm thinking of in particular is like the potted plants in front of mm -hmm. the nudes. How, how did that come about? I mean, like, was this just something you discovered when sketching or something like this? But it's just like, it's a, it's a really, I don't know, fun combination in a way. I mean, good yeah, um, I, uh, um, my, uh, I, I lived in an apartment building for for some reason in the lobby. They had a bunch of these like plastic potted plants. Um, mm. And um, I was just really entertained by that. Um, and I started working with um, these markers. Um, they're um, uh, acrylic paint markers, um, oh. Posca pens. Um, and I was like fiddling around with those and, and, uh, you know, I don't know, something about the plasticiness of the acrylic and the, the plasticiness of the, the plants. I decided to like, um, sketch out some of those plants and like this really like, cause it's like, there's like, you know, three shades of green and black and white. So just making these really like graphic kind mm -hmm. of, uh, immature, um, scribbles of these plants and, uh, 
it, it just kind of like a compositional element to to put into the paintings and something to have in contrast uh, with the figure. Um, and, you know, like the, the kind of scribbly lines, a lot of times it is honestly just marks that I made along the way trying to figure out where I was, you know, where I was going to put things. So like, sometimes there'll be a line that was like originally where the arm was, but then when the arm ends up somewhere else, it's like, oh, I still like that line. It works. It's kind of like, I like to have things just like, like compositionally, like, like almost unbalanced. Like if there's one thing taking, taken away, then the whole thing will just kind of fall apart. Hmm the photography that you like to explore now, where do you typically find it? And where's maybe the most unorthodox way you stumbled upon one of these um, references? Um, so I have, I've gotten stuff um, from, um, from uh, Instagram accounts. Um, mm -hmm. There are um, a number of really, really great um, uh, Instagram accounts that uh, collect and sell um, vernacular photography. Um, there's one called, um, uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the names. There's like Photo Obscura. Uh, that's really wonderful. Some of them have put together books and stuff. Um, I try if I'm uh, like, Basically, if if I'm if I'm working from um, if I'm I'm working from somebody's photography collection online, like technically there's no copyright, there's no author. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you can just take that stuff, but if somebody's using it for their livelihood, I want to make sure that I'm, you know, getting permission from, mm -hmm. from the person who's putting up these images um, and supporting them. Uh, so you know. Uh, I um I've I've definitely bought books and photos from um from some of the Instagram accounts that I follow. I'm blanking on names right now. Um, but also uh gotten stuff on eBay though. People who like it'll just be like a lot of like 100 slides from the 60s and 70s, and you know for like 15 dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, just get it and just see if there's anything interesting in there. Um. And sometimes thrift stores or like flea markets, um, but definitely the 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 uh, the weirdest way that I found stuff is is just like like sitting out with the trash. Um, mm. Chicago uh, is is a city of alleys, mm. and um, I found yeah, you know, just walking down the street and there's just a box sitting on top of a dumpster and it's full of like photos and letters that somebody's throwing away mm -hmm. you know like old um old yearbooks have been another thing um yeah mm. really interesting yeah i mean I, I i i lost it unfortunately but yeah i just recently maybe a few months ago stumbled upon like a polaroid of someone's like like a kind of like an after wedding party in a house from like the 70s and it was mm -hmm. just such a great, great photo. And I, yeah, again, I stumbled upon it just kind of on the sidewalk and I, I kept it, but I've now immediately misplaced it. But yeah, it, it just, every now and then you'll stumble upon some weird tiny treasure that yeah. is such a, such a great and, composition. And I mean, I, I think a part of it is because like, I, you know, I like have like these like weird photos that I'd come across and I'd like show them to people and I'd be like, look at this, isn't it amazing? And they'd be like, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. And I was like, all right, well, I have to figure out a way to like show what is amazing about this mm -hmm. photograph. Um, and I, 
sometimes I don't know sometimes I come across something like you were saying where it's just like this like wonderful image mm. and the majority of the time that doesn't work for a painting like it has mm. to be the photo has to be lacking something there has to be something for for me to add to it um mm. like I don't want to just just copy a photograph that's mm. not interesting to me um and a lot of times I'll kind of you know combine elements from different photos um and um and more and more i've been using a lot of um uh like old master paintings and like um uh right now i'm really fixated on Manet. um but you know taking taking different things and kind of almost collaging them together mm. very cool um I, I've, I've taken up quite a bit of your time this evening, so I'll wind things down with just a couple additional questions. Um, something I've been asking is that, you know, we just kind of entered the year of 2024 in a way. Is there anything involved directly with your practice or just in general that you're looking to achieve or do with the rest of this year? Um. Well, like I said, uh, 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 I'm fixated fixated on Manet, so that's mm. that's kind of kind of my main thing right now. Is sort of a sort of tussling um, with uh, with the, the the great paintings of Manet mm. uh, and and interpreting them in my my own way. Um, uh, I just uh, posted um, to Instagram my interpretation of well, one of my interpretations um, of uh, the painting Olympia. Mm -hmm. um, yeah so i'm just kind of kind of playing with that right now okay um in and i i suppose this will maybe eventually find its way into an exhibition um at zg is that the goal that is that is that is likely okay uh, yeah we, we will we will see okay uh and so and then to wind things down my last uh, question is kind of a two-part question you are um, you are kind of well-researched in the world of wine and the world of classic movies. Do you have two recommendations? If I was going to watch a movie from thirties and forties and enjoy a bottle of wine, what do you suggest? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, so, uh, if, if you, a movie from the, what's a, what's a movie people don't appreciate enough from the thirties and forties. Um, well, uh, um, the uh the thin man um, I, I watched that 48 hours ago yeah the thin yeah. man is, is <laughs> um that is that is an absolute classic um uh, the, my uh, and, and william powell Amazing. yeah yeah i literally just watched that what day is it today i must have watched it sunday night yeah sunday night it must have been um and uh, i'd never seen it before my girlfriend grew up watching it i guess many times um mm -hmm. and so she um, i had my, my my parents over and we watched it but uh from her recollection of it all she the thing that she really really dwelled on was just the very witty um dynamic of of the detective and his his i guess kind of girlfriend at the time i'm not even sure if they were married properly i have no idea i suppose they, they are married. they are married, married yes yeah. they're newlyweds in the first okay. one okay yeah okay so so i don't even know i guess is the thin man it's part of a collection of movies right yes okay yes. so There's this is not the first the one second the second one is the second one is um is very good they 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 
they trail off after that. But the okay. the, the first one is an is an all time film classic. Awesome. Um, yeah, and um, for uh, for wine, um, I am uh, I. I there's so much. Um, I am uh, especially fond of uh, of French wines, um, mm -hmm. and there is a um, uh, there's a, a winery I actually got to go to um, in um, the Rhone in uh, Amritage called mm -hmm. Les Alexandrines, um, spelled like Alexander, except it ends with in. Um, and their wines, if you can find them, are absolutely extraordinary um it's a really like um really dedicated passion project um and uh yeah especially the the uh the san joseph um is is Liz alexander san joseph phenomenal phenomenal i will check it out luckily at my job i get to work with uh pretty much a sommelier so i'm wondering if he has uh, some sort of capacity to get his hands on that. But he's, a, you know, obviously a, an enormous wine nerd. So if I get a bottle, hopefully he and I can uh, uh, have it together and he can tell me all the strange nerdy things about the wine that I cannot perceive. <laughs> That's what he's he's very good at. Um, but I'll say I, one, I, final, one final wine note. Um, sure. uh, there is, despite what your experience has been, there is a Chardonnay for everyone. Okay. There are, even if even if you have you've had Chardonnay and you're like I hated it, it was terrible. Trust me, there's a Chardonnay out there for you. Is I, I, again, I'm not well versed in wine. Is if, if I'm not mistaken, I think recently I had a brute wine that is some composition of Chardonnay. There's like some amount of Chardonnay in it. The sparkling wine. I don't think I don't recall. I don't think it was sparkling, but I might be misremembering. But I thought because I, I whoever served it to me read it off the bottle, and I was thinking it was it had it was kind of like a mixture of two different wines. And but I remember yeah. I liked that quite a bit. So brut is a brut is a uh, tells you how how sweet or dry um, the wine okay. is. It's going to be a dry wine for for okay. a sparkling wine because sparkling wines can be quite sweet. Um, and um, Chardonnay is one of the approved grapes for champagne. You can have okay. champagne 100% Chardonnay, um, or you can have it with a, a blend of grapes. Um, but Chardonnay is, um, you know, if if you have a white Burgundy, it's Chardonnay. There's Chardonnay all over California. There's Chardonnay um, in in um, Australia. That's amazing. There's Chardonnay all over the place, and it's it. It can be some of the most incredible wines that you will ever taste in your life. Okay. Well, you're radically too educated on this subject for me to interface with you on it. Like everything you're gonna say from this point forward will go right I know, over my head. I know, <laughs> I know stuff, I know stuff about painting, I know stuff about wine. I'm basically <laughs> an idiot about anything else. Well, at Definitely. least the painting, at least some of the things you're saying, I can like kind of grab onto and I'm like, I can understand what she's saying. With the wine, it's it, I, I'll completely yeah. be lost. But I the do whole have your recommendation. Trades thing, I'm I'm the opposite of that. Uh, I, a Jill of two trades. I'm a Jill of two trades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Well, again, and also thank you very much for 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 mentioning the Thin Man uh, to anyone who might listen. It, it was, I agree, it was very very good. And despite maybe what someone would imagine about a comedy from almost a hundred years ago, I mean the humor is timeless i mean like it really yeah. was and, and sometimes it's not like that sometimes it's like you still appreciate the humor but it's this kind of antiquated humor that was like really really 
yeah. fresh. It's like still it. funny. It's still yeah, funny. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time this evening. I had a really great time chit-chatting with you. I'm going to tell my pal about this wine tomorrow and see if he can get his hands on it. And again, thank you so much. Uh, I had a good time. I hope you had a good time too. Yeah, thank you. It was really nice talking to you. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye.